Welcome back, Mere Mortalites, to another edition of the Mere Mortals book reviews. And I have an interesting one for you today. And in fact, it is a repeat. We're going to do it slightly different. We've got Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Master your mind and defy the odds. Now, this is the OG, the original one from David Goggins. We have reviewed it before in the past. Obviously, go check that out. If you haven't, quite a lot of people have tuned into that particular one. So if you haven't already checked it out, do so, would encourage it. David also has a separate book, a new one out as well, which will be coming to a book review sometime soon as well, Mere Mortalites. But what I've decided to do as well, moving forward, I've talked about it in the other Mere Mortals podcast channel as well. And you'll see as well here, a very nicely tabbed book. And that is because moving forward, I'm looking to do, yes, book reviews to continue on in the similar ways that Kyron, my other co-host of The Mere Mortals, does the conversations and podcasts and book reviews. But I also want to go a little bit deeper into the aspects of a book, which are generally quotes, themes, ideas. And I'm going to go jump in into the Can't Hurt Me, David Goggins, as a bit of an example, given that we've done a book review around it. I've gone through it again, slight skim read. I just wanted to reread it uh, over the last year. And I decided, you know, there's a couple of topics here that I probably want to just explore uh, more individually, more specifically. And that's what we're doing. So without further ado, let's get into them. We actually have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. So let's see if they're all going to be different topics. I don't know. This is slightly experimental. Let's see how we rock and roll. Now, the first one, and I'm going to be reading these out as well. And then we'll we'll talk about it. We'll go for that particular uh, I guess, conversation or the way they'll do this particular review or quotes uh, or memorable items from the book. Now, and then just in generality, can't hurt me, a little bit of biography around David Goggins, where he came from, what he did, what he eventuated. If you already don't know, you're probably listening to this, you know who David Goggins is. I'm not going to go into it. Go and check out the book review. Go and check out other things if you want to see who David Goggins is. But some of his thoughts, first one, and I write this down as the accountability mirror. So something that's quite big within this book. He doesn't often talk about it too much these days. However, you can extrapolate that that's something that he would do. So let's play along with this. Through on page 56. The ritual was simple. I'd shave my face and scalp every night. Get loud and get real. I set goals, wrote them on posted notes, and typed them to what I now call the accountability mirror. Because each day I'd hold myself accountable to the goals that I'd set. And in another section, I wasn't fluffy. I was raw because that was the only way to get myself right. So this concept of the accountability mirror, I really, really enjoyed at least reading it. I obviously quoted out specifically for it. In fact, I did the, uh, where do you sit in this mere mortal lights? I wrote on the actual book and I actually continued to do that for a while. So uh, if you hate that, yeah, give me some hate. Let me know about it. But it, from an accountability mirror perspective, I, I found myself going, you know what? That is a fantastic idea, theme, whichever way you approach it. I've sort of not done that in the way of a mirror, but I've done that in my daily journaling or daily reflection and really being as sort of David calls it out, not being fluffy, you're being raw to be quite specific on how to get yourself right. And it's the accountability mirror. Applying this to everyday mere mortal lights, I went or thought, you know, it's the potential of how can I put this, how can I do something where I'm being really honest with yourself? Because let's face it, we're not always that honest. Uh, even today, uh, there was a conversation that I had with my partner and I found myself slightly adjusting the ruler on the who's the blame, where's the truth lie. And in the end, it was so I could feel better internally about myself and some of the way there was conversation. 
reflecting back on it, you know, even just five minutes later, accountability wise, it was, damn, probably shouldn't have slid that ruler all the way that far. In the end, you know, did it make a difference in the conversation that we had? Not particularly. However, it's in the minute moments of that that sum up. And then obviously at the end, as a whole, you see the the big uh, mistakes or issues that that might cause. But specifically, I like that the theme of the accountability, accountability mirror. If you don't already have something like that, I think finding whichever way that you can is really fundamentally good. Post-it notes for me, like again, I've got some post-it notes here. There's no way that me writing up somewhere would really work. My day-to-day is pretty varied. It doesn't really have that much of a routine apart from some cool concepts, but not the exactness of it. So I'm probably not in front of the same mirror. Probably not going to work, but finding for me at least a digital version of that works wonders. Uh, the second one that I've got noted down here is a piece about uh, the dark and it being lazy. So let's see. They say there's always light at the end of the tunnel, but not once your eyes adjust to the darkness. And another point, he says, just another zombie selling his time on earth going through the motions. Now, that that was a pretty big uh, quote that I was reading there through. In a in a more honest, honest view, when people are down, there's particular pieces of whether it's depression, it's a downtime, it's a sad time. And you'll have some, I'm not going to call it toxic positivity, but just generalized positivity, aka, hey, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And as David calls out, you know, sometimes <laughs> once your eyes, you know, they say there's always light at the end of the tunnel, but not once your eyes adjust to the darkness. Yes, once you get yourself to a position where you just accept it, aka, well, I'm in the dumps, in David's position, he was overweight, he was working a dead-end job, he wasn't making ends meet. I believe at that point he was a dad and he just didn't feel like he was doing the things that he should be doing. Now, you can, and there's probably plenty of people out there that just settle. They settle in the case of, okay, well, I am overweight, I can't do this, I'm not in the right job, and I'm not going to do it, I'm just going to adjust to the darkness, make this my baseline, not care that there's an improvement or really want to find a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, that doesn't have to eventuate to, you know, taking oneself as AKA death or something else equivalently. Uh, it doesn't have to mean that, you know, going to harm other people, but it is just a, a stagnation, I guess, expectation that can happen. And again, applying it to me or other me and more lights doesn't have to be super dark or how deep or dark, I guess, David Goggins got in some of his positions. It can be more, is the aspects where the maybe the darkness that you're in, where you might be expecting that, or what people might say, hey, well, don't worry about it. The light at the end of the tunnel is going to be a lot better. But do you stagnate? Do you find yourself being in a position where, you know, I'm okay. I'm just a that zombie uh, living through life, selling his time on earth, going through the motions. Might not be on all the places, but sometimes when I reflect back on the work that I've done, definitely not on the Me Immortals podcast. I just enjoy it. This is joyful. I do it for myself. Uh, if someone gets a benefit out of it or enjoyment, fantastic. All power to it. I love that. Tell me about it. But, you know, there's been other jobs in the past, right? I used to be an engineer. There was definitely days that I went in as an engineer to do the 14th update of the stu- structural uh, steel that needs to go into this apartment building. And it definitely felt like I was really directly selling my time on earth for some money. And it was shit money at that time too. So, be cognizant of where you might be doing those things and just feeling stagnant and not even caring for the fact of 
light at the end of the tunnel and just staying in the tunnel in that in the darkness. Uh, darkness can be quite different for everyone as well. The next one I've got, it's the, the battle of the mind. Uh, this was war all right, but it wouldn't be fought on some foreign shore. This one, like most battles with fight, we fight in life, would be won or lost in our own minds. And look, Yes, it's a good call out. The battle of the minds. Just about everything we do is largely an internal battle. There's going to be external battles that you know, either can't control or they're just purely external. Fine, get in. I'm talking about those. But it, it made me open my mind to just stop in that particular uh, sentence on, man, there's just so many battles that even when we think they are external in some way, shape, or form, they're an internal battle. Uh, again, I was having a conversation with a friend not too long ago about this on People reacting in certain ways or doing something that makes you upset. Uh, upset. Now, the potential argument that you might be getting uh, into or that you want to or the way that you want to respond, there is this feeling where, hey, they've wronged me. They've done the wrong thing in the ways that they've addressed me. I need to retaliate in some form. I need to give them the, the bad shoulder, give them a negative sentiment, whatever the case may be. The battle isn't so much with the other person, the, the external factor that's coming at you. It is the battle of the mind where it's in your mind suggesting, hey, the way that I should react to this is with negativity, with I need to hit them back the way that they hit me, rather than maybe some other forms of, hey, I'm going to come at it with love, with understanding, with empathy. Big battle of the mind. Of course, there's many other uh, areas of life where that battle uh, is won and lost. Uh, again, for me, physically, and, and I don't believe specifically there's a lot of, well, sorry, let me backtrack. There's a lot of perspectives here where it's you know, in the physical nature slash mental nature. And for me, I saw this battle of the mind between general gym going, battle of the mind, I win that every time. Even when I'm tired, uh, no sleep, no food, whatever. Man, I'll get in there and do some squats. I'll do it. Running, that's an altogether different business. Battle of the mind, I lose in that heavily, often. So you also have to understand where are the places where you know we're always having a battle of the mind. Where are those battles in life where you know we're maybe more often losing? We probably should investigate as to what is it worth even looking into with some of them. Is it fun? Is it enjoyable? But I thought it was an interesting quote. The next one that I noted down here was taking souls. Now, there were, this, the previous one was already about taking souls, but this was a more specific one. Did talk about it in the previous book review, but I wanted to go deeper here. And taking souls here with David Goggins. Taking souls is a ticket to finding your own reserve power and riding a second wind. It's a tool you can call upon to win any competition or overcome every live obstacle. So the concept here of taking souls, if you haven't heard it before, was there was this famous piece that David wrote around him and his boat crew sort of staring down at the uh, officials who were sort of commanding the, the Hell Week and they were at a particular stage that everyone was really tired. David sort of turns out to his team and says, hey, we're going to take some souls here. Let's let's throw this boat that we're um, the zodiac that we have up and down, it's super heavy. I'm going to throw it down over our heads and we're going to just say, you can't break ours. Now, in doing all of that, they essentially took the souls of the people who were uh, officiating and looking after them and having to get them through Hell Week in the holy crap, we can't break them. That taking souls mentality, though, of course, there are some extremities to it. Depends where you take it. 
I found myself doing this in my first initial, after I read this the first time with a lot of my runs, there was this slight mentality of, okay, I'm going to do that by, I'm going to be on the treadmill. And if someone's next to me, how I'm not getting off this treadmill until this other person gets off, there can be that perspective. And honestly, there's some negative connotations, power that you can draw from taking cells. I don't, I don't see taking cells as generally what maybe most people would go, hey, that's some positive energy. And by positive, I mean maybe out of love, out of care. No, generally with taking cells, I guess my mind goes to, hey, I'm going to do this because these people told me I couldn't do it and I'm going to get this done. So I guess the different way of framing the, maybe the revenge energy, the harsh energy, the angry energy into the, hey, we'll call it taking cells, aka I'm going to make these people regret they say this. I'm going to pivot this energy of anger that I'm having into, I'm going to just take this cell and show them that I can do it. So I like the I like the wording of it and it just gives you, I mean, it just, and it specifically does talk about, you know, power and competition and getting over life obstacles. Again, whatever taking souls looks like in your perspective, even if it is with some negative uh, energy, let's just call it, then channeling in maybe the right way. And I just like the concept of taking souls because it makes it maybe actionable at the very least. And for us, effective philosophies in whichever nature they come, we enjoy here at the Mere Mortals. Uh, the next note we got down here um, was when we are comfortable, we can't answer those simple questions that are bound to arise the heat of battle because we don't even realize they're coming. And it's the why question. So through this book, there's quite a few references to the why. Okay, David, why are you doing this? Going through his own mind. Why the hell am I doing this? I'm putting myself through torture. I'm putting myself through X, Y, Z. And it is true that when we're comfortable, right now, I'm in air conditioning. It's 17 degrees. Outside, it's 35, 36 degrees. Right now, if I was really think about it, I'd go, ah, you know, if someone challenged me to do a 10-kilometer run, I'd do it. I'd do it. Why not? I'm feeling good right now. Step outside those doors, go for a run or start the run. Maybe two kilometers in, that mind game's going to start and go, yeah, no, why am I doing this? I didn't have to do the 10K run. I only did it off a challenge. Is there a lot of reward of it? Ah, maybe not. I should probably stop. So it is in the, not the comfortable moments. It is in the moments in the heat of battle, in the hard times, in the anxiousness, in the confused, in the fearful, that that's when the real, the real answer to the question of why needs to come up, be it in business, relationships, fitness, whatever. Have such a strong why that it can bear anyhow. Victor Frankl style uh, right there from Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, next one here, and it's around the 40% rule from David Goggins. Goggins. Call this the 40% rule. And the reason it's so powerful is that if you follow it, you will unlock your mind to new levels of performance and excellence in sports and in life, and your rewards will run far deeper than mere material success. And this was the concept of when you think you've absolutely pushed it to the limit, you're almost there retracting the back in, your, in, a, in a mental zone going, hey, I'm only 40%. I'm only exhausted 40% of my tank, let's just say. Now, an interesting part of this concept is that in business, or at least in work, and more specifically in IT projects, I found for many years, right, before I even read this book, that there would be this rule of thumb around when it felt like you were finished, where it felt like you were about to hit the finish line, 
you were really only around 50, 40 to 50% done with the project, maybe 60%, right? Summing to that order of effects in terms of effort, issues, cleaning up things, et cetera. Now, I'm not saying that it's you know, obviously directly proportional to this putting in the effort, but it was just an interesting linkage that, hey, I also see it in, in aspects like these of these numbers where, you know, obviously it's David throwing it out, but it helps you, I guess, mentally liken the projects as well if you were to think about it coming in and with an expectation of what's going to get done at this particular date and going, you know what, even though I think that probably only 40, 50, 60% of the way there, it's in a similar mentality of when you feel like, and again, taking the example of that 10K run, if I was at four and a half Ks and I think, man, I'm spent, it is hot out of here, I cannot go anymore. It's that extra push of, okay, if I'm thinking that, if I'm getting to that point, whatever that point looks like for you, me and Lights, it's that, that's probably just 40%. I can, I can push it way beyond. Now, pushing it way beyond could be rhabdo. It could be massive injury. It could be debilitation from doing something else and maybe training for the next day. So it's not a, I'm not saying that this is, is the best thing you should always do to go push beyond it and not listen to your body. I kind of stem to at least listening to it. But it is an interesting concept to put away the barriers, the guardrails that sometimes we mentally put ourselves before we actually physically exert ourselves to a, a stoppage. Um, but of course, you know, treat it wisely. The the next one here, um, and again, I, I put down as a bit of a comment on the side here. Is it good or bad? Never enough. We'll see. In one day, I'd lifted the equivalent of 846,030 pounds. This is when... David was doing some pull-ups for the world record. Nearly three times the weight of the space shuttle. Damn. Cheers spread to laughter as I pulled off my gloves and disappeared into the back room. But much to everyone's surprise, I was not in the mood to celebrate. Does that shock you too? I mean, it shocked me. You know that my refrigerator is never full and it never will be because I live a mission-driven life, always on the hunt for the next challenge. That mindset is the reason I broke that record, finished Badwater, became a SEAL, rocked Ranger School, and on down the list. In my mind, I'm that rate horse, rate horse, always chasing a carrot I'll never catch, forever trying to prove myself to myself. And when you live that way and attain a goal, success feels anticlimactic. Now, is that good or not, near Modelites? Because honestly, in reading that, I felt sadness for David. I felt like a lack of joy or the upwards trajectory of being pleased with success. Now, don't get me wrong. He stated it. That mindset is probably the reason he's a fucking phenom at doing a lot of these things and not giving a shit about what anybody thinks about it. But there are downsides to it. This is the, it got me thinking around the, when people think, hey, I'd really like to be like David Goldman. I'd really like to be like Tony Robbins. I'd really like to be Tim Ferriss. Do you know specifically what that also entails? What's the whole of the person that you know they need to uh, capture to be, to act in order to be that? Sometimes you go, man, I wouldn't want that. And reading that in that particular so a structure there, I went, you know, David Goggins, externally, in some factors, awesome. Big runner, does all these things. And through childhood, through everything that happened to him, became this person. But in still seeing that what it is today, and look, he might have changed from this. This is a few years back now, this particular book. It made me go, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that mentality, even if it affords me the extra success that might potentially feel like it is coming to me, not at the exchange of not being able to celebrate, to care for those sort of wins. Uh, but I'll leave it to you in more notes. What do you think of that? And the final one that I wanted to put down here, and it is around a what if, uh, a simplified what if is what I noted here. What if 
What if is an exquisite fuck you to anyone who has ever doubled your greatness or stood in your way? It silences negativity. It's a reminder that you don't really know what you're capable of until you put everything you've got on the line. It makes the impossible feel at least a little more possible. What if is a power and permission to face down your darkest demons, your very worst memories, and accept them as part of your history? If and when you do that, you will be able to use them as fuel to envision the most audacious, outrageous achievement and go get it. What fucking if? I love the particular statement. I love that mentality. The thinking of rather than some of the other negatives. And look, I'm an engineer. I like to plan. I like to look at the pros and the cons. Hey, what should we be looking out for? What's going to fail? Are we going to have enough cash flow? Are we going to have enough capital to do X, Y, Z? Whatever. Yes, you do have to think it through. And those are all relevant, really great points. But there has to be a part of you, as David points out, there's going to be a, man, what if we can successfully do this? When we started the podcast, me and Kyron, there wasn't so much of a what if right at the beginning. It was really, and we've talked about it before, me saying, hey, let's do this. I enjoy listening to podcasts. When you come back from South America, let's freaking do it. Bang, bang, bang. Lots of episodes done. In fact, I went back and checked in in some of those videos and went, wow, man, we've actually improved for a while. But what, you know, it's one of the questions I have to come through of what if, man, think it through. Be more lights. I hope you have enjoyed this bookery of Can't Hurt Me, specifically the quotes. What do you think about it? If you want to support, send through a comment, value for value. We talk about it, mormortalspodcast.com uh, forward slash support. You can go send through some boostergrams. You can have a look what that is. But for now, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for tuning in. One out.